0: that's how close you are and father we thank you lord that you have already been moving behind the scenes lord and within the hearts of people and lord we just pray her oh god that as we gather around your word as we father look and search the unsearchable riches that come from your word i pray will you anoint my mouth will you anoint our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say to each one of us. Lord, will you break up the bread and divide it among your people, that, Lord, that your people will be fed by your hand through your vessel for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. and amen. Can I just also say a huge, huge thank you for those who participated and came out at the outreaches uh, uh, events that we had For the last few Saturdays, it was such a blessed and a fruitful time. In fact, yesterday, as we we were just parking our car up, and we came across a steward who was collecting money for cancer research, and we started sharing Jesus that he's a great healer. And so she started to ask a few more questions about what does that all mean and stuff, and then we had the opportunity just to, to share a little bit more about the gospel. It transpired that she struggles with anxiety, and so I said, can we pray for you? And so as we prayed, she just, she, just goes, she goes, she felt something. She felt that peace coming upon her. And this is the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, that it doesn't come in word only, but by the Spirit also. And so we pray more. So God is still moving through Harlow Church. And just because we've had a couple of Saturdays out there, it it doesn't mean that that's it. We're done now. We can tick that box and move on to next and bigger and brighter things. No, no. That is the work of the mission. And so we're going to continue, and there may even be more. So watch this space. Praise God. Guys, is the sound alright? right? I'm a little bit echoey up here. Right, okay. Well, happy Father's Day. To all the men who are out there this morning, whether you're a father in the faith or a father in the flesh, we salute you, we honor you, we bless you, and we thank you for all that you are and for all that you do. You can say amen to that. (laughs) Now, some of you may have or have had a wonderful father figure in your life who is warm, kind, and generous. And so we want to rejoice with you and celebrate that with you today. We give thanks for fathers like that. However, I'm also aware that that may not necessarily be everyone's story. As Some of you may have had a difficult father. A father who perhaps criticized you, rejected you, or even wounded you in some way or another. A father who was perhaps absent or abusive or perhaps he was present but actually never gave you the time of day. Sadly, I had one of those fathers. A father who was absent but every now and again he would put in an appearance. A father who was a serial adulterer who fathered a number of children but was dad to none. Now... The stats on absent fathers, they don't really make for good reading as fatherless children are six times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime which is demonstrated by the 80% of young people we have in young offender institutions today, all who come from fatherless homes. What's more? is that fatherless children are five times more likely to commit suicide, ten times more likely to experiment with drugs, fourteen times more likely to commit a sexual assault, and twenty times more likely to end up in prison. And so, with the odds stacked against us, it's no surprise that my brother and I became a part of these statistics as he went to prison and I ended up in rehab. But praise be to God that that was not the end of the story because Jesus met me in rehab and it was there that he revealed the Father's heart and I have never been the same ever since. Glory. And so this morning, regardless of what kind of father you have had, good, average, or poor, let me tell you, That there is a heavenly Father who is absolutely and unequivocally besotted with you this morning. How do I know? Because the Son has revealed the Father's heart. And that's the title for this morning's message. So if you have your Bibles with you, then please open up and come with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to read from chapter 15. Verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to 11 to 24. And I'm going to read from the CSB version. And it says this. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, A severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am, dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick! Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now this morning, very simply, I just want us to walk through the text together. And I will stop off every now and again just to provide a little bit of context. But my prayer is, word of God, will you speak to our hearts and will you reveal the Father's heart? Amen. Amen. Now, I love how the Lord uses parables to indirectly yet directly speak into the situation around him. And in order to understand this parable, we need to understand a couple of things. Firstly, the audience. And they are found in verses 1 and 2. Namely, the tax collectors and sinners, along with the scribes and the Pharisees and note that these are poles apart on that religious spectrum because the scribes if you like, they are like the professional theologians of the day. They would be seen as the ecclesiastical lawyers or bishops who are entrusted to teach and protect God's law along with the oral tradition. The Pharisees, Well, they were more akin to the lay leaders of the day and they would be like the elders and deacons and the Sunday school teachers who are committed to keeping God's law. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they often get a bad rap but they all started off with the best of intentions in the world. I mean, they saw Israel crumble but crumble, because they failed to keep God's law. And so they concluded that as long as they keep the minutia of the law and call others to do the same, then they could get right with God and achieve holiness through the means of human endeavor. But in doing so, they totally missed the point. Because holiness, it cannot be legislated, but it only comes through our union and communion with the Holy One. Amen. Now, in contrast to the scribes and the Pharisees, we also find the tax collectors and the sinners within this audience. And these were considered to be the lowest of the low, kind of like the rejects and the outcasts of society. And so, when Jesus eats with these social pariahs, he is frowned upon by the religious elite. Why? Because to eat with somebody in a Middle Eastern context, it meant more than just grabbing a quick bite to eat. Rather. To eat with somebody in that culture, it symbolized friendship and acceptance. And so, when Jesus eats with the lowest of the low, the scribes and the Pharisees are literally frothing at the mouth with disgust because in their mind, he is now a party to their shame. Wow. And so... In his brilliance, our Lord indirectly, yet directly, addresses the hearts of those who think they know the Father. While at the same time, he reveals the Father's heart to those who think that they are far away. And it is genius. Because the tax collectors and the sinners, well, they are represented by the younger son. The Pharisees and the scribes are represented by the elder brother. And the father of both is depicted by God. Another thing that we need to note in order to understand this parable is that we need to look at it through a Middle Eastern lens, particularly through an honor-shame culture. Otherwise, we will miss the weight and the gravitas of what is being sad. So that said, let's dive right in. You guys are right out there, a few, is it the heat perhaps? (laughs) Maybe it's putting some people to sleep, who knows. Verse 12, the younger son says to the father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. In other words, um, give me my inheritance. And this is just shameful. In fact, it is downright cruel, because to say such a thing to a Middle Eastern parent, even today, was in effect, I wish you were dead, and I want my inheritance now, so give it to me now, which is just wrong on so many different levels, is it not? And at this request, the father, instead of giving his son a good hiding for being so downright disrespectful, instead he acquiesces and without any protest, he divides the inheritance. And scholars tell us that the son would have received approximately a third of the father's wealth, which is a pretty huge sum And this also gives us a glimpse into the father's heart, that he is generous and not possessive, that he freely allows his son to choose and to make his own choice. It's the way of love and not control. And as the son chooses wealth over his father, the Pharisees standing nearby would have expected the father to say something along the lines of, From this day forth, you are no longer my son, but you are dead to me. And we are done. End of. However, the father says no such thing. But instead of inflicting pain upon his son, rather, he chooses to absorb it himself. Wow. Not many days later, verse 13. In other words, as soon as possible. The son gathers up his belongings and he makes haste to get out of Dodge, as it were. Because the intensity of hate from the community is now beginning to bubble over. Because the neighbors, well, they have now heard that the son was disrespectful and hurtful to his father, and so now, wherever he goes, he is now met with the scathing words of, shame on you. And so he knows that he needs to get out of town super quick before their words turn to violence. So off the young man goes to a gentile country, far from his own people, where he indulges in the pleasures of sin, and he denies himself nothing. And when the scripture says he squandered his wealth in foolish living, it's a biblical euphemism to say wine, women, and song. I guess the equivalent today would be he goes off to a major sin city like Vegas and the like. And he visits every strip club and gambling den going, and he squanders his father's hard-earned wealth. You get the picture, right? Now, if you're living at large, and you're spending money like it's going out of fashion, it won't take long before that money is drained. And when it does, it suddenly dawns on him that his so-called friend's were only friends with his money. Yep. And when the money ran out, so did they. Yep. Now I'm sure that he wanted to return to the Father, but all he can hear is shame on you, reverberating through his mind. And so he decides to stay put for just a little bit longer and just to slum it just another while. And as he does, he stoops to an all-new low. In that desperate for food and lodgings, he hires himself out to look after pigs of all things, which is an absolute no-no for a young Jewish lad because they are considered unclean. So here he is, poor, hungry, destitute, nowhere to go, and no one to turn to. It's a pretty sad state isn't it? And it's a picture of the folk that our Lord is speaking to, namely the tax collectors and the sinners. Or if you like, it's a picture of us all before we come to Christ. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am, dying of hunger. And so it's at this point that he makes an accurate assessment of his condition. In other words, he's out of excuses, he's hit rock bottom, and so he finally gets real and he considers returning to the Father. And this is where repentance begins, because he is now ready to cast himself upon the the father's mercies. And he knows his father's generosity because he grew up in that same household. And he knows that his father's hired workers are treated so much better than he is. And so he decides to return home to the father and to face whatever may come his way. Good decision, wouldn't you agree? So while he's en route, he begins to put his speech together. And it's this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Note how his speech has three parts. And they are, I've sinned, I'm not worthy, and let me make it up to you and repay the debt. Over and over again, he rehearses this speech as he makes his way home. And all the scribes and Pharisees standing around at this point are like, yep, that's exactly what he needs to do. He needs to go back home to his father, repent, be humbled and humiliated, scorned and even shamed. It's the only right thing to do. And so at this point they would be in agreement with the Lord and they would be affirming this parable. But then Jesus puts a pin in it. Verse 20. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And this word compassion, it literally means that the father was deeply moved in a gut-wrenching manner. So what does he do? He runs to meet his son. Now, if the Pharisees at this point were sitting on chairs, they would have literally fallen off because this was scandalous according to their standards. Instead, they were expecting the father in line with tradition to be unavailable and to refuse to meet the son. And the son would have to sit outside the father's house until he was invited in. And until then, he would have to endure the scorn and the shame from the villagers who would walk past him and literally spit in his face and he would expect nothing less. However, the father sees the son and he runs Towards him, which just gives us an inkling into the father, how he's waiting, he's longing for his boy. And this word run in the Greek, it doesn't mean a casual trot or a jog, but it means to sprint in a race. Now, for a Middle Eastern man over the age of 30, to run was considered shameful and an absolute no-no. Because to run, it meant that he would have to gather up, gird up his loins, or lift up his robes, expose his legs, and that was just shame. But the father, he doesn't care. Praise him. Question, why is he running? And what's his hurry? Because he... Sorry? Do you want to know? No? He is running because he needs to get to his son before the villagers do. Because if they get to him before he does, then there's no telling what they will do to him besides pouring scorn all over him. And so in order to protect his boy, the father runs. And when he reaches his son, he throws his arms around him. He embraces him and he kisses him. Now, let's just back up a little bit. This boy, he's been living and working with pigs and is probably stinky right now (laughs) and in need of a long soak in a tub and yet the father is embracing him and kissing him. What's he doing? Well, the father kissing the son, it means... But the shame that was on the son is now transferred on to the father. And the father now bears the shame of his son. Wow. Do you see the gospel? Amen. You see, people often, see, often think and see God as this reluctant saviour that we need to jump through a whole bunch of hoops before he'll ever receive us, but that couldn't be any further from the truth. Instead, the Father sees us coming, and he runs through the dirt, and he throws his arms around us, and he embraces us, he kisses us, and he bears our shame. That's the Father's heart. That he is a God who is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Can somebody give the Lord praise this morning? What a father. Stunned, the son begins his speech. And can you remember how many parts there were? Yeah. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then in the next line, we hear the father speak. And so what happened to the third part of make me a, a hired worker? Well, the father interrupts the son and it's the interruption of the gospel how? because the father he will not hear it he will not hear the third part and the truth is no matter how hard we try we can never repay our debt of sin oh we try but if only we can do enough penance or if only we can wallow in enough self-guilt, or if only we can do a whole bunch of good deeds, then perhaps we could earn our way into God's good graces, right? But the truth is, we cannot. Because salvation cannot be earned, but rather is received like a gift. And it comes by grace Only and through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. Praise Jesus. And so the father interrupts the son. And he says, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Wow. Now this is huge. Because the best robe in the house, well, it belongs to the father. And it's a picture of the Father dressing sinners in royal robes. It's the doctrine of justification. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He clothes us in royal robes, in robes that we do not deserve. Mercy. For He has clothed me with the garments. Of salvation, he covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61, 10. Glory. Quick, put a ring on his finger. Wow. I mean, the son, he squandered a third of the father's wealth, and now he's been given the royal signet ring to show his authority over the father's estate. Scandalous, we may say. And finally, quick, put sandals on his feet. Why sandals? Because slaves would walk around bare feet, not sons. Oh, no. They would walk around in the latest pair of Nikes, if you like. That's a joke, by the way. No. The sandals are another indicator of status. That he is once again received as a son. That as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. John 1, 12. Amen. Amen. That even when we mess up, when we repent and we return, we are received and we are restored. And it's as quick as that. For if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from not just a few, but all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, praise God. Now, we can stop right there, and that is more than enough. But it goes on, and there is more. Because then the Father says, bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and he is alive again he was lost and is found hallelujah praise God now the fattened calf in the Middle East is always reserved for an honoured guest it's the highest honour that one could ever receive in that culture and remember now that here. Who's Jesus speaking to? But the lowest of the low, the tax collectors and the sinners. And he is saying, come, that there is a place for you in my Father's house. Come, that there is a seat at the Father's table. Come and feast. In other words, it is the gospel of grace that when we turn from our sins and when we turn to Christ and put our faith and trust in Him, it is then that He clothes us with His righteousness and He seals us with the spirit of adoption and then He gives us gospel shoes to go and tell others about the Father they know not of. Amen. Amen. Now, this message to the religious elite was scandalous. But to the downtrodden, the broken, the outcast, the destitute, fill in the blank. This is phenomenally good news. And so, if you can relate to the younger son this morning, perhaps you have taken a wrong turn And you have made a few poor decisions and you want to return home, but you don't quite know how. And let me encourage you to look to the Father that Jesus shows us in this parable. Because it doesn't matter where you've been or what you have done. But the Father is saying, my son has paid for it all upon the cross, now come home. Amen. Amen. And the Father is waiting with arms wide open to receive you. He really is. And this is not sentimentality, but this is gospel truth. As I said, My father wasn't really around when I was growing up. But when I came to know the father's heart, I found such freedom and joy, hope and healing, because that's who the father is. And this morning, I believe that the Lord would say, I will be a father to you. The question is, will you be my child? Will you be my son or my daughter, and will you walk in my ways, and will you trust in me, because the father, as we have just seen, is a father to the fatherless, and he never gives up on us, and neither does he casually just stroll over to us, but rather he sprints towards us, he embraces us, and rejoices over us, what a Father, he is so come to him this morning and let him father you amen Amen. now as I close I'd like to close with a, a well known poem I'm sure you've probably heard it before it's the father's love letter and as I read it feel free to close your eyes you now have my permission to close your eyes but don't fall asleep and just allow this to wash over you and receive it afresh. And it says, My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image, In me, you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determine the exact time of your birth and where you will live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could. For I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you. For you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could ever possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are broken hearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day... I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father and I love you even as I love my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party that heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and always will be. My question is, will you be my child? Will you love your dad, almighty God? Let's pray. Just in this moment, if you are here this morning and you don't know the Father's love, you don't know the Father's heart, and if God has been moving, stirring in your heart, you see your lack, you see, you identify wholly with the younger son who is out among the pigs, hungry, poor, and destitute, nothing to eat, nowhere to turn to. No one to see. And if your heart is you want to know more, that there is more, and I want to encourage you that you can come to know this lavish and generous Father this morning. So I don't want to prolong this, but if God has been stirring in your heart and you want to know him, then just raise your hand. Just put your ha- raise your hand up and put it down. Indicate to me. And I would love to pray with you this morning so that you know his heart There may not be but I want to say encourage you that he is a father it's the highest relationship that we can ever have the highest relationship uh, a Muslim can have with Allah is that of a master and slave but the highest relationship that a Christian can have with the father is that of father and son If not now, if you have questions, and come and speak to one of us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. God, we just can't even put words to how great you are. We've been singing, you are great, you are great. And you really are, Father, that, God, that you just blow every circuit board within us. Because you pour out such abundant and lavish love, God, that we do not deserve. Father, we do not deserve the best robe, Lord. We, Father, Lord, deserve hell, and you would be perfectly holy and perfectly righteous to send us to that place. But we love the but-gods in Scripture. We love but-gods so love the world that he gave his son, that you yourself came down. You didn't send the archangel Gabriel or Michael to come and do it, but Lord, you came yourself and you came to redeem one such as I, Father. And so, God, we are forever eternally grateful for what you have done. We thank you, Lord, that even in when we forget your fatherhood, Lord, we forget your parenthood, that, God, you never forget us, but as a child, Lord, you long to take us by the hand and to walk with us. And so, Father, I pray that you will do that to each one of us as we go throughout this week, whatever challenges we may be facing, I pray that we will know the Father's embrace. We will know the Father's affirmation, the Father's approval, Lord, all of those things coming directly from you, that we won't seek them in other places, Lord, or in other people but in you, Father, resting in the Father's lavish and great love. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. to that part of us.